And I think that was a moment that Lou helped me to realize I'm doing this for Jesus and I'm doing this for other people. And that's what I think generates a passion that can help you to be sustained in a ministry position for the rest of your life. Because if you can actually have a clear focus that it's not about just doing something that I want to do, it's actually about what I'm doing for the kingdom of God. That's where the passion for me comes from, I think. Welcome back to the Shokazuba podcast. It is fantastic to have you along with us as always, whether you're listening or watching us. Um, always like to see that the YouTube views have gone up, which is very nice. But uh, we're talking about momentum in ministry as our usual series. And to join me in talking about this series is Tim Billhart. Hello, Joel. Regular co-host and my other regular co-host, Shu Crawshaw. Hello. Hello. Hello, how, Joel. How are you? A little sad, but I'm okay. Yes, and we're going to get on to that while you're a little, a little sad um, because we're talking about the role of leadership in terms of identifying um, and working out how to build momentum in ministry. And that the reason that you are a little bit uh, under the weather or a little bit melancholy is because the, the Queen has just passed away last night. It's, mm. it, that's when we've learned the news. Um, she has been quite a... Uh, she's the longest reigning monarch in the UK, UK's history. Which is very impressive, um, quite a, quite a serious innings. So I'm very impressed with that. But also, um, you uh, helped me to realise that how much of a strong Christian presence she was in her reign as a mm. monarch. And you actually said, Google some things that are, um, she's talked about when she where she talks about Jesus. And I um, there's a, a list here of the ten surprising things the Queen said about Jesus. And I thought, why don't we start with this quote, and then you can talk about the Queen because mm. you know a lot more about her than I assume. Mm. Um, and this is going to be our kind of cultural artifact slash story that we always like to start the podcast with. But here's one that she said in 2002, which I believe is from her Christmas message in 2002. The Queen said, I know just how much I rely on my faith to guide me through the good times and the bad. Each day is a new beginning. I know that the only way to live my life is to try and do what is right and to take the long view, to give of my best in all the day, all that the day brings and to put my trust in God. Uh, Stu, um, what are your reflections on the Queen and um, how she was as a, as a Christian leader and, and really the only uh, monarchist in our, in our lifetimes because she was so, there for so long? Yeah, the only monarch, yeah. The, mm. the Queen has been around for 70 years. Yeah. Uh, TV reported that she has been on the throne for 70 years and has had 15 prime ministers, which right. is quite remarkable. I think she's been a really steadying influence and a really stable influence and there's been quite a lot of turmoil during her reign uh, it was the end of the british empire when she first ascended to the throne and the uh her passion uh to to uh move forward into a, a commonwealth of nations where there was a friendship amongst the nations that used to be in the empire i think was a, a fascinating and amazing testimony to her uh leadership ability um as a monarch, she didn't get involved with party politics. She didn't sort of polarise people by giving her opinion on things. And I think that was also really interesting. She had a deep personal faith in Jesus and I love listening to her Christmas messages each year. I don't know if anybody has seen any of them. It's worth going back over YouTube to have a look. But she drew attention to the real meaning of Christmas every time she did a podcast. And I think to have a head of state who was also a Christian uh, is amazing to think that our queen served the king of the universe which was a big favorite saying of hers that she served the king was quite uh, amazing that she didn't act with impunity she knew that she had a higher authority who was going to judge her and so uh, yeah people could 
um, debate, and I'm sure they will. They already have started debating, you know, where, where she did things well, where she didn't. Uh, I really like monarchy. I'm not a Republican. I do appreciate some of our listeners and viewers and some of you guys might be Republicans, and that's, you know, obviously going to be the case. But what I think is interesting is even many Republicans really respect her for her leadership. So I think yeah, it's really poignant for me to just um, give a little tribute to her. Uh, I know a lot of people are doing that, but um, she's inspired me and I feel like her leadership was a real model of leadership. So much so that I, I'm, yeah, I'm quite sad actually. Yeah, really sad about her passing. And I know it sounds strange in a modern world to say it, but I, I think I really loved our Queen. I, lo- I love the idea of having a monarch that wasn't elected because I like the idea of the fact that there was a check on our elected democratic system that um, we've got someone who's able to to just bring a bit of stability. She didn't have any um, desire to interfere with the political process and and gain power for herself. Uh, I think she said as a young woman that she wanted to serve in that role and she's promised to do it the whole of her life. And the thing that fascinated me which makes me most emotional at the moment actually is only two days ago she was welcoming her 15th prime minister and with her frailty displayed for the whole world to see she had bruises on her hands and she was very gaunt but she literally worked up till two days before she passed away and so she literally did exactly what she said she'd do which is very rare and she would have retired many times as she got older but there she was with a big smile on her face shaking hands with the new prime minister like she was 20 and I just looked at that and thought that is, you know, stoicism and stiff upper lip is kind of looked down on a bit these days. But I thought that was incredibly um, encouraging and inspiring that she could be not thinking of herself at the moment where she needed to serve her country by welcoming a new prime minister. She's there, not complaining, not being, you know, drawing attention to herself, but with a big smile on her face, serving her country. And um, I don't know if it's true yet, but someone told me today that the paper said that that when the um the announcement was made that she'd passed away there was a big crowd formed outside of buckingham palace and apparently they were singing god save the queen and i've got to check out this we'll probably know by the time the podcast goes out but apparently a big rainbow went up in the sky and or was there at the same time or something like that i don't know but yeah i've seen that reported good job it has been i was yeah. just like that's yeah that sent a bit of a shiver down my neck i thought yeah. that's quite amazing and mm. yeah so as i said yeah I, i'm pretty sad but um also very thankful to have lived through a very stable era with all the ups and downs that have happened um you know she she's had problems in the family and turmoil there and also turmoil in a country and around the world but she has been a presence that many heads of state many people around the world have respected and i think there's a fair degree to learn from her leadership mm. which i suppose future gener- you know generations of historians will unpack I think that was one of the reasons why we thought it would be worth uh, bringing it up in this podcast, mainly because I'd like to hear your passion about why you enjoyed her leadership so mm. much, but also that it was a, a, it's, a good, uh, it's good to look at. We talked about in the last podcast about stability of mm. leadership. Just before we go back to that too much, any reflections on, on the Queen given her passing recently? Yeah, I, th- I think I'm still kind of processing it. My one thought, I, I went to bed last night um, and there were just starting to be reports that yeah. she was unwell and that her children and grandchildren were kind of rushing to Balmoral um, and wasn't sure what I'd wake up to this morning news-wise. Uh, but I think we talked a couple of seasons ago about 
how seismic 9-11 was. Mm. Um, not only because of the violence of it, but because it, it shattered the understanding that we had of the, the political um, and cultural system that had grown up from the... And again, it felt like the, from the coming down of the Berlin Wall through to 9-11, there was just this stability in the Western world that things uh, were only ever going on a trajectory upwards. Mm. And 9-11, um, when the, the planes flew into the, the Twin Towers in New York City um, and then the other planes in, in Washington, that... It suddenly realising that, the, oh, the world has actually changed, like dramatically changed. Um, and I think I've got a bit of that kind of sense. Mm. Even last night I'm waking up this morning and realising that um, the Queen had passed away, that, um, as you said, I mean, she's, she's been on the throne for 70 years, so she's the only monarch um, that many, many people have ever known um, in the Commonwealth. Um, and it does kind of feel like there is a seismic change that this you know it's it's a momentous change um and given that uh you know king charles the third now um is uh, 73 so he's coming to the throne at age 73 um likelihood that uh i will live to see the change of another monarch again and so you know that will be a little less dramatic i think in some ways um mm. when when that happens um and, but yeah, just her longevity, her stability, and um, and yeah, I mean, I think I've become increasingly aware of her faith uh, and the way in which she has used that to um, be confident in the way that she leads. We talked a lot mm, last a uh, season about that idea of being confidently Christian in mm. whichever sphere you find yourself, um, and she has been increasingly confident in her Christianity. Um, she was quite guarded for a long time, um, but in the last kind of maybe 20 years, um, particularly in her Christmas messages has been a great example of where she's actually just just been confidently Christian, declaring that Jesus is her Lord and Saviour. She realises that she is a queen over many um, religious and faith backgrounds, mm. but she's declared her own faith really confidently mm. um, in, in really uh, calm um, with a with a good posture, but able to say this is who I believe in, and you know, as Stu said, we believe that she's now with the king that she served, um, mm. which mm. is a really beautiful part of this, and what makes the morning of any uh, Christian, um, yeah, there's there's the sadness in the morning, which is right and good and proper, and there's also the hope and the joy of realizing that she's with her Lord Saviour, and yeah, I think there is a, an appropriate melancholy um, uh, in that. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where I think where I'm at at the mm. moment. Yeah, I think that's a helpful way to look at it. I mean, I suppose that uh, I think her passing has made me reflect on more about what it means for us as a society. And um, sure, you've kind of mentioned like it, it could be in, like it's a little bit of an end of an era, just like um, uh, Tim was talking about with it being 9-11 is a similar thing. I was looked up, she came to power in 1926. I had to, <laughs> I had to check that. So she's certainly seen some stuff. Like she's Not born, you mean? Uh, was it born? Born in twenty six. Born in twenty six. I'm sorry, I was I was looking at it too quickly. But came to power in 1952. Sorry about that. Right. Um, but that, as as we said, seventy years and something that we've talked about 
on the podcast last week about when we had Karen on, we were talking about breakout churches and one of the um, the things that Tom Rayner talks about in that book of breakout churches is that the, the stability of leadership mm. and that's why it was, an, it was a nice kind of um, segue into this podcast that we're talking about. Um, and I think that it said that in um, breakout churches that 21 years is a really good sign of a church being... Uh, uh, the leader of uh, serving tw- for 21 years is a good sign of that the church will continue to, to grow in and mm. continue to be on momentum. So, and that would mean that someone who's been in ministry for a particular church in 21 years has seen some stuff. I'm just wondering about you guys have been working in ministry, especially students. We're nigh on 30, 30 years of ministry for yeah, you. Yeah, 30. So there's a lot of stability there, at least. Um, mm. At Sorrowville, too. That's, so, yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. And like you've been um, serving at Sorrowville for 10 years. As a, yeah, as a at, church. As, yeah. at, when, since we've been a church. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on stability and um, mm. why, it's, why do you think it is important in terms of leadership? Well, back in the 1990s, um, Louise and I, which I think I've shared on the podcast, my wife and I felt a call to to create a bit of stability in a little local church, Guy Anglican Church, where the youth ministers would come and go with quite a lot of regularity. And I remember feeling that that was quite disjointed for my discipleship as a young Christian and thinking that it might be a fun experiment for us to stick around. And we uh, we had a, a, a pretty profound... Um, conviction to to do ministry long term and so we stayed at Gomer Anglican Church as youth ministers for the next 20 years but back in the 1990s when we'd already had that conviction uh, interesting talking to other youth ministers in association with Sydney Youth Works College which is our our, uh, youth ministry training in the diocese. Um, Tim's wearing the hat. He's wearing the hat, yeah. Tim is actually also employed in YouthWorks. Yeah, so one of the earlier principals of YouthWorks College, uh, Graham Stanton, who was the foundation principal, he and I and a couple of friends, we'd get together and talk about how can we assess, you know, the effect of leadership on youth groups. And we just put our heads together and came up with the fact that, wow, it seems like all the youth groups that are growing strongly have had youth ministers for 10 years or more and uh, we thought wouldn't it be awesome if we could get more youth ministers to stick around for 10 years because there was a lot of youth ministers that just came and went but the churches in Sydney that had grown the biggest had long-term youth ministers and so at the time Guy Amir Anglican with Sorrow Revival, uh, Fig Tree Anglican, Janali, Castle Hill Anglican Church with with Tim, um, Hawkins, uh, St. Ives, uh, these bigger youth ministries of over you know a few hundred people had long-term youth ministers. So uh, we felt pretty convicted to not only stay on in youth ministry long-term, but also to see if we get some more people to stay around in the long-term. And then this research has come out and sort of backs up what we were thinking intuitively back in the day. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of... A lot of um, reasons why sometimes sticking around for 20 years might not be a good idea too because if someone gets stale in a position or they're actually not uh, effective in a position um, that can also be a problem but I think it's interesting that link between long-term low-key relational discipleship where committed Christians are being trained to disciple one another and be discipled and be on mission together actually takes years and uh, one last thing I'd say on that is there was a great Christian leader in Sydney called Dudley Ford who said to me once that he thinks that it takes a Christian about five years to actually go beyond just 
pleasantries with another Christian to actually really dig in and help one help to bear one another's burdens and help to be accountable with each other and really help each other to fight the fight of faith together. And his fear, again, it was back in the 90s that I talked to Dudley, but Dudley said, if you look at the average person in Sydney, this is at one particular city, uh, people tend to move every five years, but when they move every five years, they move churches too. So he was worried about the future of uh, the next generation if they're very transient and they move church a lot then they're not really going to have that experience of sticking around for five years. So I think the leader sticking around long term gives permission to more leaders to stick around, which gives permission to the young people to actually have continuity of leadership all the way through high school, for example, as a teenager, uh, et cetera. And when you look at that as a whole church, I think we've seen some of the benefits of that and we've been able to maintain momentum at Sorrel Revival. And I think partly because we've had that long-term low-key relational leadership that's possible with st- stable ministry like that and um we have um karen our uh, training pastor to, to credit for having a look at this and and what tom rayner is talking about um he actually sets up a, a almost what we call a leadership pyramid where yep. there's actually a few levels of leaders that are, are building up and what you're talking about in terms of the 21 years plus and what you you you've been doing doing in ministry is that's a level six, like the top level. It's actually called a legacy leader, mm. <laughs> which is like quite a nice name. I would call you a legacy leader for sure. <laughs> but, um, can you? I was just wondering if you guys can think of any other legacy leaders. We talked about Rick Warren, who retired just recently. Yep. Is there any other legacy leaders that you would kind of go, could be in the church or not in the church, but could be someone who's like, I can see their impact that they're having because they are... They do have a legacy or are they building a legacy um, on what they're working on? Do you want to go first, Tim, if you have any ideas? Yeah, I mean, if I in the church, I think I also mentioned last week, I mean, uh, John Piper, I think, would mm. be a, a good example of someone who was at the same church for a long time, continues to be in that church after retirement with a different role. Mm. Um, and just the the fruit that came from him in terms of the his... Um, his preaching, his writing, the establishment of, uh, I'm pretty sure they've got their own seminary there as part of that church, so they, you know, training. So they're able to just build, you know, up. And the, I guess that's, there's the evidence of momentum, right? That mm. they're able to not just be a local church, but to be a flourishing church that has a number of ways in which they can see, you know, the gospel growing. That would be probably one. And the other one, um, in probably in the business world, I guess, um, Steve Jobs, I suppose, is kind of the iconic legacy leader in, in terms of, the one who not only founded the brand and then, I mean, I don't know all the ins and outs, you guys probably know it better than I do, but, you know, coming out of the business, being asked to come back and save the business and then go on right through to uh, when he passed away from pancreatic cancer, I think it was. Um, and, you know, so much of the um, Apple uh, iconography uh, and style and, and everything that was part of his design and his imagination and so I think there's a significant legacy there in the way that he was able to lead that so there, there are a couple that immediately come mm. to my mind is there any that you kind of look up to Stuart you, you know that mm. you were like I wish I would like as a leader to emulate them yeah well, I mentioned Tim Hawkins at Castle Hill Anglican Church he he was sort of one of the first long-term youth ministers in Sydney people like Cameron Hislop at Janelli who's now in his 50s and still leading head of the ship at Janelli Anglican as a youth yeah. leader there he's tremendous um there's yeah there's there's a lot of there's a lot of um a lot of benefit in that uh, you know some leaders can't stay around or don't stay around or sometimes are called not to stay around at one place for a long time mm. but um yeah there's a couple that i think have mm. made a big difference 
I think about um, uh, the thing that I always think about is like sporting teams that have a legacy. Mm, that's um, a good point. The one that, and there always needs to be an alignment between, and this is a, a kind of different because this is a marriage between sport and business rather than leadership at a church. But uh, there's always needs to be an alignment between like the management of the the club or the team, the coaching staff, and the players, and that's what leads to dynasties. I mean, one of the examples I think of is the Melbourne Storm in the NRL. Yeah. They've, they've, they've had the same coach from almost from the very beginning, yeah, Craig right. Bellamy. Um, the other one... That Funnily I th- enough, you just sorry to interrupt, but mm. their chaplain has also been there for 25 years. Really? That's interesting. Yeah, just as a, just a throwaway. Oh, yeah. shout out to he's him. What's, a, what's his name? Oh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, actually. <laughs> but right. he's. I'll look it up later. I, I should know his name. But <laughs> I, I, he's a great guy. But that, yeah, that's mm. interesting you should say that. It just mm. tweaked. Sorry, I was just Oh yeah, actually, even the chaplain's been there a long time. So that's we shows that it's, it, there's kind of almost the the front staff on mm. the the main ones, but even behind the mm. supporting staff, yeah, and yeah. particularly those you know that welfare staff to have been the same that's for right. that long. I yeah, think yeah, yeah, all of that probably mm. adds to that longevity that they've had. Yeah, yeah good and point. I'm, I'm big into the NFL, and the one of the most recent example is the New England Patriots, who have won. Uh, I hope I get this right. They won six Super Bowls in the 2000s mm. um, and even up into 2000, what was the last one, 2019, 2019, yeah. But that's because they've had the same owner, same coach and same quarterback. The, in same Tom quarterback. Yeah, yeah, so Tom Brady's been the, the quarterback who won six titles with them. Um, he's actually gone to 10, which is crazy. He's still lost two with them and he's, as well. Plus he also won one with Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But I'm just wondering... If we have that kind of stability, how do we how do we maintain that stability within our church leadership in order to uh, hopefully see that breakout moment continuing the momentum that we're trying to see? Because we talked even last episode, Tim, that there are sometimes even perhaps within the Anglican system that people are encouraged to move around um, from their leadership positions and probably doesn't build that long-term leadership without kind of... Uh, giving uh, the system a hard time. What do you think that we might be able to change to to allow that stability to continue? Well, I mean, to to give it the the best possible um, version, I think that what uh, has been created, both formally and informally as well, I think is what Stu mentioned earlier that um, sometimes if someone's in the same role for a long time, it can actually breed staleness rather than longevity, like all the momentum stuff that we're trying to talk about. Um, and so that is often what those kind of systems, um, generally speaking, uh, are trying to prevent against. I mean, I don't have, I've got no insight particularly to the, the rationale of the diocese and, and why it does has that. But that, that has been – to do 12 years is kind of a really good innings. Um, and usually at that point it's then the encouragement to, okay, what's the, the next – you know, adventure where's the next place where you can use your gifts and skills to um, serve Jesus where's the next community um, and so yeah that that is just you know the, the culture on us you've, you've you've seen a bit more ministry than I have and you know particularly with senior ministers have you got any reflections mm. on that kind of yeah like I mean you get you get more experience if you move around to different places you learn from different people mm. minister to different people so there's good things about it but I've always tried to be staying in long-term parish and then be very networked with other people so that I've been seeking out mentors from other areas and learning things from different disciplines and being a church leader that networks with other church leaders and gets our congregations to network. So I think 
that's been beneficial for me over time. Uh, another thing that's beneficial for me is that my experience of working with uh, Aboriginal communities is becoming friends with Aboriginal pastors takes decades. So the fact that I've been in friendship with some of my Aboriginal friends for two decades is why we're friends. So in other cultures other than uh, an Anglo culture, it, it can be actually time is needed to create those relationships. But but I think, I think also looking at the Sydney Diocese and other denominations have similar models where they move people around. I think if you come back to your pyramid and you go down to the the beginning level of mm. leadership, I think someone who moves around a bit at the beginning could actually seek to be more stable over time. I think that might be a way that the system at the Sydney Diocese works at its best. So someone's called a leader, they go into ministry, contributing leader. Even before they become outwardly focused, they're actually starting to just learn heaps of stuff uh, in the first couple of levels. And when they start becoming outwardly focused and then move into that next tier of being a passionate leader, I think that's where, you know, it'd be really good if we could capture long-term leadership at around that that point where someone's oh. becoming passionate about something and then they really... Because, I mean, for me, my passion led me to do what I did. I was not just sitting there going, I can't think of anything better to do. I felt incredibly passionate about staying mm. where I was. So mm. I think engaging a leader at that passion moment is very awesome and very important for a denomination and... Yeah, I don't know if we talk about that enough, actually. Mm. Is that um, kind of the pattern that perhaps both you guys felt, that like you felt called and then you had to try to understand what it was to be a leader in a church and whatever role it was, and then eventually you get to the point where, like we talk about Tom Rainer's pyramid, is saying the passionate leader, as you said, Stu, then becomes the bold leader and then leads to a legacy leader. So mm. that is that perhaps the way that we could look at it, that we should be maybe... I'm sorry, that my question is that is that what would would your experience reflect that? Is my question, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, my experience was I was literally called to be a leader. So I I um I was one of the only young adults left at Guymer Anglican Church and they were looking for someone to be a youth leader and there wasn't hardly anybody else left. And I remember getting feedback from one of my friends that when one of our uh, assistant pastors was moving on, she said, Who who are we going to appoint as the next youth leader and she apparently mentioned me and the, and the assistant pastor said, oh, don't, don't give Stuart the leadership role. He doesn't know what he's doing. And I don't think that was a, that wasn't a massive sledge on me or negative. I, I don't think I did know what I was doing. I was just like, I was only 19. Um, but yeah, I got called to be a youth leader. And then it was a few years after doing youth leadership for a couple of years that our senior minister actually asked me six times to be this, the youth minister before I said yes, because I, I don't know if I'm, if I can do it. So I was literally called in the sense that I was tapped on the shoulder and asked to do it. Mm, that's a, and that's then a it was, number of times. Yeah, yeah. And it was at that point I started contributing and actually feeling super excited that I could offer a few things. Mm -hmm. And that then led me to be, th well, I think the beginning of the outward focus leader is actually not just thinking of yourself. That, you know, in the early days I'm thinking, can I be a leader? Do I want to be a leader? Is this what I want to do with my life? But once you become outward focused, you see the reason for wanting to do it is a lot more exciting than even am I the right person for it. Trusting my leadership, I accepted the job eventually. And I remember, I think I've said this on the podcast before, I remember talking to my wife, Lou, who we just got married. And I said, oh, Lindsay, our senior minister, his name was Lindsay. I said, oh, Lindsay's asked me to be the youth minister again. It's like the sixth time he's asked me. And Lou goes, well, why don't you want to do it? And I said, well, I was doing a PhD at the time and I was 
going to become an academic and that was what I thought my career was going to be. But then also I said to Lou, I can't play guitar. I can't sing in front of a group of people. I, I'm not a very good speaker and I, I don't know anything about organisation. Like I'm a terrible organised person. I find trouble organising myself. So I don't know what I could offer. And then I remember Lou said, but you can love people. And I said, yeah, that's it actually. Yeah, I can love people. So I rang Lindsay the next day and I said, I'll take the job. And I think what I've got to offer is I'm really keen to love people. And I really love Jesus heaps and I really want to love other people. And I think that was a moment that Lou helped me to realise I'm doing this for Jesus and I'm doing this for other people. And that's what I think generates a passion that can help you to be sustained in a ministry position for the rest of your life. Because if you can actually have a clear focus that it's not about just doing something that I want to do, it's actually about what I'm doing for the kingdom of God. That's where the passion for me comes from, I think. One of the... um the legacy leader characteristics is show unconditional love for the people they serve. Oh, so is just, it? Just there as an encouragement, bro. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I don't know if I'm always unconditional, but <laughs> I find it hard to, to love manly supporters. Okay. Um, that's a big shout out to Cameron Hislop, who I, I've already praised, but he's also a manly supporter. He's a manly supporter. He is, I know. Well, we banter about that quite a lot. If you're not sure who manly is, don't worry about it. It's just a rugby league team that's yeah. not the one I follow. It's the club that people love to hate yeah, <laughs> it is, yeah. but funnily enough actually my PT goes for Manly as well so oh, does he? I think I'm, I'm he's learning. surrounded by yeah, eagles I'm, st- I'm starting to <laughs> love God's helping lo- you love people yeah I'm yeah, loving yeah, them I'm starting yeah. to love them yeah, I'm I'm probably one of my best mates in the chaplaincy is, is a Manly um, person too so there you go well, surrounded by sea eagles how the gospel yeah. can change your heart yeah. <laughs> <laughs> unconditional <laughs> um, uh, Tim I was just going to ask you your experiences of ministry and being called to that too what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I've shared a few times on the podcast. There was a number of different ways in which I was called into ministry. Um, in terms of church ministry, as I've shared before, um, it was just what you did when you were in year nine and you were still hanging out at church. You got dropped into ministry because they didn't know what else to do with you. <laughs> yeah. So it's not a great recruitment strategy, but it did get me into uh, children's ministry pretty early um, and learned to love it through there. And then in terms of... Um, yeah, so I guess that was kind of a you know an accidental falling into ministry, um, but the more particular calling was uh, the school teacher who asked me to go and help shape the lunchtime group uh, at my school, and I was I mean I was reluctant to go to start with because it was terrible um, and dull and I just you know. I was far too cool for it, at least in my own brain. Um, and so when... Did you think that? Oh, absolutely. You're just such a humble dude. Oh, it was, yeah. That surprises me. <laughs> Glad I couldn't surprise you. Um, just imagine young Tim Billhart saying, yeah, I'm too cool for I'm you. Way oh, too yeah. cool for yep. that. But it was, it was by going and this teacher encouraging me to make it better. And then he was coaching me through how to write talks and those kind of things. And then I was, I remember being at youth group and having a lot of talks with you, Stu, about how you were doing chip lunch mm. um, and going, okay, well, how can I get the essence of chip lunch into this uh, group um, at Shire Christian School? And there was lots of things we changed um, based on the way that you were coaching me on how to do effective school ministry. And so I think, you know, all of that combined um, gave me a real passion for leadership and for ministry. And so I'm not, uh, I think, I'm not quite sure how strict uh Rainer is on these different categories, but I guess somewhere in there I was I was doing level one called leadership and level two contributing leadership at the same time. Like I was by giving it a go, I was actually discovering my desire yeah. for it. 
um, and realising that there was a call and um, verbally from those leaders who were encouraging me and then also, um, yeah, you, you learn to hear the, I guess, the spiritual call of mm. you, God impressing on your heart. Yeah, this is um, where I want you to be giving your life. It is interesting how, like, if if we're going through the levels, we kind of, what is the uh, the impact of, like, what God's actually doing in our lives too? Like, it's not just, it's easy to look at this and go, oh, yes, I was a called leader, and then I was a contributing leader. But, like, God is actually... <laughs> Walk home one day, hello, everyone, yes. I've just realised I've, I've gone from <laughs> stage one to stage two. Yes, I've levelled up. I've levelled up, yeah. But isn't it interesting that God is actually leveling us up yeah. with like the people yeah, that that coaches yeah. or the people that like speak into our lives, and uh, that was the other thing that we talked about on the last podcast too is about how uh, <coughs> breakout 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 churches often have a leader that stays there for a long time, but is also there's a, a generous amount of self reflection, mm. um, using that idea of um, Rick Warren's church Saddleback, where they took uh, a survey of their almost their entire church congregations and they had a number of different places um, that the church was situated at and around California, but they, they found that there was quite a low level of spiritual maturity and obviously they did that and then they, they we think that they implemented ways to try and improve that. Um, I was just wondering in terms of, I, I haven't asked you this question, Stu, because you weren't, you weren't able to make the last podcast, mm. but what does um, self-reflection mean to you when you're a leader i mean again we've said that you've, you've done ministry for 30 nine on 30 years now how has self-reflection really helped you continue to move forward in your leadership yeah i i think it does um i mean we will uh, we'll probably put in the show notes a link to this triangle so yeah people can, we'll get dave to even put it up there yeah so that'd be cool video yeah if, if for YouTube. the video version yeah mm. but even in the show notes for the podcast it's very helpful actually because yep. i think what rain has identified is that that leaders who grow through experience and and reflect self-reflection you do go through stages like you're saying there's a sense that you need you you know i think it's great when you francis schaefer says that if a leader is invited into a position that's really helpful because a humble leader kind of waits to be invited but you know there's a balance that too because it's good to see an opportunity and try and get something going but to actually be called and then to have a fairly firm uh, some, some christians argue that you know there's no particular calling that you just serve jesus and find out where you're serving him and you're serving him well wherever it is but my experience has been a bit different to that i felt very called to minister at glimmer anglican i felt very called to minister within soul revival and um that has been very helpful to me when i go through hard times because i feel like I am able to sometimes find the space to think, am I right for this role? Should I really be doing it? What, Where are my strengths and where are my weaknesses? But at the same time, I'm happy to be able to go through that because I felt called to do it. Um, but there have been times in my ministry where I've um, needed to reflect on, is this the end of this time here? And there will be a time where I'll come to an end of my ministry at Soul Revival and... Uh, coming back to the Queen, she's incredibly inspiring to me because she had a call on her life because she just she felt called to be the Queen. And she said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to try and do it as well as I can and I'm going to do it for you and I'm going to learn how to do it over the years and I'm going to do it until I die. And like I said earlier in the podcast, she was welcoming her last Prime Minister, her 15th Prime Minister, 
and then two days later she passed away. And so she served right up until the end. And I love it in um, Paul's writing where he says, you know, I want to be – I want to finish the race. I want to run a good race right to the end. So if you're a leader and you find yourself in leadership, part of being a, a good leader or an athlete or a queen of England is to be <laughs> just just reflecting on where you're at and you know having the ending in mind, not necessarily in the position you're in, but wanting to serve Jesus for the whole of your life. That's where the passion comes from. And the boldness in stepping forward and doing new things comes from a sense of security from the call that you started with. And if you feel called to it uh, and you're contributing and you can see there's something you can contribute, you reflect on that. You reflect on, am I always seeking to be outward focused? Um, How is my passion going? Am I still passionate about being a partner with Jesus as he builds his church? You end up making bold decisions that aren't actually going to be at other people's expense. You're going to, in a sense, seek to do that. And I think making bold moves is what creates legacy because I think sometimes it's exciting when a group of people feel like they're part of something that's bigger than themselves and they're actually contributing in a meaningful way to that. And the leader is just another one of those people that are in that. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of how I feel about it. Because mm. I think I feel like we're perhaps, if we're looking at this model, it encourage, we're in trying to encourage uh, leaders to keep working towards being a, a legacy leader. And uh, some of the, the characteristics we've already talked about, but I thought it worth reiterating them just so we know what we're talking about. And there's, there is one that I really want. I'll leave that to the last that I would, I'd like to ask you guys about. But have long-term ministries average exceeding 21 years? We said that before. A humble confidence and attribute success to God, not themselves. Accept responsibility for the outcomes. Show unconditional love for the people they serve, which we talked about before. Persistent, persistence and don't consider a setback a failure and passionate about reaching a loss. And the last one that I wanted to talk about though, and it harks back to our previous season on evangelism was uh, evangelicals with a high view of scripture mm. um, and I, I was actually really surprised at that and it's mm. interesting mm. that's really important but, but it is really important as you're saying mm. Tim what do you think in terms of like we talked about how important it is to be evangelical holding the evangelical line and it seems like that's borne out in Tom Rainer's research as well so what are your reflections on that and, and why do you think that uh, Rainer found that so important as a legacy leader? Yeah, well, I don't know uh, Rainer's methodology, but I take it that he's... Uh, my understanding from what Karen said last week is that he's looking at what has been legacy leaders and who what are their characteristics. So he's looking at those who have succeeded and what are the characteristics that have, um, they have in common, I think, is his methodology there. Um, and so the fact that he found that the legacy leaders are evangelicals with a high view of Scripture, what that says to me is um, that uh, it... It works. <laughs> you know, the, the truth works, mm-hmm. which is what we would expect um, mm-hmm. in, in God's created order that the teaching, preaching, leadership that aligns with his order where his word and his world are working together. Um, and so we see that um, uh, cohesion between a, a clear gospel presentation which communicates the clear truth of who Jesus is, what he has done for us on the cross, the life that we can have in him, the life we're called to live now and live forever with him in new creation, that that message um, is, you, you can notice that that message is characteristic of those who have these legacy ministries, I think is really significant. And it, for me, it's just an uh, extra piece of evidence that shows the truthfulness of that message, that it really is the message that... Um, coheres with who we are 
it speaks to the deep um, heart of people, um, potentially their felt needs, but even deeper than that, their, their truest, deepest need. And that when people um, do submit to Jesus as Lord and King, um, that, you know, that does affect change in their life, in their family's life, their community life, in their church life. So, yeah, I'm really always really encouraged when I see uh, research like this and statistics like this that uphold the truthfulness of the gospel um, because um, if, if it is good, true and beautiful, it is what God has actually built into the world. And so if, the, if evangelical Christianity is true, um, then it should also function well. It should work and we should be able to see it working. And I think that's kind of what Rainer is has noticed here, which is really encouraging. Mm. Through any reflections on that? It's, I think it's really good way to come to an end, like you said, of the podcast, because again, coming full circle, talking about Queen Elizabeth, her impulse to be a part of a government in her time that actually gave back territories to um, that that England had taken uh, into the empire to actually look. It wasn't completely perfect, and there was lots of uh, problems with. Um, what took place as the empire collapsed, but to think of the queen as the leader of a declining empire whose impulse was to form a commonwealth, I think even that one thing was quite amazing. That um, India was part of was a colony of England for two hundred years, and then under the queen's reign, her idea was, well, let's be friends. And also the impulse of the government at the time to say to people who wanted from the empire who wanted to stay British that they could move to England and move to the UK if that's what they wanted to do was um, again where did those impulses come from and there's probably lots of facets to that but I think the gospel heartedness of a queen who knows she's responsible to a higher authority um, to seek to make the world a better place in her way and in her time is is um, you know, she she said again, you know, more clearly in her Christmas speeches recently that it's her that that Jesus is her model, that he he was, you know, her inspiration, and so I think I don't know. Um, again, historians can argue one way or the other how important that is. I might be right off beam there, but I think you can see practical outworkings of her legacy that if the future king doesn't continue on in that way, I I think they're be interesting to see what happens in the future um i mean king charles has already uh just ascended to the throne he has i I don't know what his particular opinion is now but i have heard in the past that he was not planning on being the defender of the faith he was planning on being the defender of the faiths queen elizabeth said her faith meant that she was taught to love all faiths and be the queen of everyone and accept and love everyone but his view of being accepting and loving everyone is to defend all faiths i think that's going to be a very different impulse and so coming back to that call what is the call well the call on a christian is to partner with jesus as he grows his church doesn't sound like the new king is going to have that same email i don't know I've, I've got no idea but I, I think the queen has been explicit in seeking in her way with her worldview in her time in her generation in her you know you could talk about all the power and the money she has and all that kind of stuff and argue with everything i've said but in in her world she's been guided by something and i think what i've thought as a leader is we've got to be very careful we never get to a point where we think we are the person who sets the vision for 
for the group we're leading, but we're actually accepting the vision of the Lord and we're trying in our generation, in our way, with our skills to actually implement that. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a, an interesting way to end. I was just looking at another uh, quote here from Queen Elizabeth from 1981 where she says, Christ not only revealed to us the truth in his teachings, he lived by what he believed and gave us the strength to try and do the same. And finally on the cross he showed the supreme example of physical and moral courage. So hopefully that's an encouragement to anyone that's listening as leaders that if they are feeling a bit, finding things a bit tough, I think that's really cool. And I think it's been really cool to reflect on uh, Queen Elizabeth's reign and also just how as a model of leadership for us. So thank you also for your guys' leadership as well. So I appreciate yeah. it. And I think that's a good way to wrap up the podcast. Uh, just before we do, though, I should let you know, if you are listening or you're watching, that the Shockers Orbit Conference is coming up on the 29th of October. We'd love to have you along so we can continue to discuss many things, including the Queen, if you want to. Um, <laughs> do a breakout session. I'll lead that one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, then you're leading a lot of breakout sessions then if you do that. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, 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 you can check that out on the shockersorbit.com.au website where you can register for the conference and uh, pay for the $10 that uh, we have uh, just asking you to cover the cost of lunch. So that would be awesome to have you along. We can continue the conversation via email as well. You can email me at joel at shockersorbit.com.au or you can get on the Discord server, subscribe if you haven't already subscribed, whether it's on YouTube or your podcast app. And once again, thank you very much to my regular co-host, Tim Stu. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. And we finish with a one way. One way. God save the Queen. <laughs> 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 <laughs>